10 cases of, of tick fever per week. Um, heartworm, maybe two, three that we treat. Yesterday, we treated five dogs against heartworm the, the same day. Um, and we did test them <laughs> and they were positive. Hello, my name is Nadine Cherny and I'm more than just a vet. Hello, you are listening to More Than Just a Vet, a podcast where we explore the lives of veterinary professionals. I want to know what's behind the surgical mass of the people who help our animals. My name is Francisco Gomez. Welcome to my show. So, uh, first of all, hello, Nadine. Thank you. Thank you for joining. Um, uh, uh, please tell me um, who you are and what you do. Well, thank you for the invitation, and I was um, pleasantly surprised at your message. Um, I am a vet since 12, 13 years now, and um, I am originally from Switzerland. I graduated there and grew up there, um, but now I live in Grenada, actually on the small island of Karakou, and I help running a charity, a small animal charity there. And at the same time, I work online for a telehealth medicine company in the UK. And what actually made you become a vet? When I was a kid, I wanted to become a vet very, very early on. And I had this uh -huh. goal in mind. And even when I chose my, my major subject in school, I would like, like I said, choose biology and math and things like that over language or arts because I knew I wanted to become a vet. Um, but then only when I was like 16, 18, I kind of forgot a little bit about that goal and um, yeah. found out that other things interest me as well. Like, like I said, computer science yeah. or um, even law or, or food science or biology. Well, biology is obviously very close, but there, there were a lot of... Oh, sports was one of them as well. There were a lot of different things that interest me. So when I was 18 and it came down to decide which studies I wanted to sign up for, it I, it did take me a bit. But in the end, um, I decided, no, it's really, I want to become a veterinarian. So then I signed up with the vet yeah. studies. <laughs> you, you said in the, was it in the University of Zurich that um, exactly. you went to a, to a theater? What, what actually happened there? Oh, so my my parents, they were um, members of a, you know, sports riding club. And um, uh -huh. they organized this lecture on a weekend just for the club that they could go and and have an anatomy lecture in, in the theater where, where normally the students have their lectures at the university. So I was only, like I said, I can't exactly remember how old I was. I must have been between maybe 10 or 11 years old. Uh -huh. And my parents took me along and they thought maybe it will deter me from my idea of becoming a vet because obviously looking <laughs> at dead animals is not everybody's yeah. cup of tea. Um, yeah. But um, I was completely interested and absolutely loved looking into that cow's body. And <laughs> and so, yeah, so I knew, I, it, like I said, it didn't deter me and, and just like made me want to pursue it this goal more. actually focused you even more. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's brilliant. That's, that's that's really interesting. Um, so which university is because I don't, I never been to Switzerland. I have mm -hmm. no idea. So do you do you study to be a vet in Switzerland? Is like a university in Switzerland, right? Yes. So there is, 
um, two veterinary schools. Um, They're kind of sister uh-huh. fac- faculties. One is in Bern and the other one is yes. in Zurich. Um, and so one is in the University of Zurich and the other one in the University of Bern. But yeah, so obviously uh, because that's close to where I lived, I went to Zurich. Ah, I see. I see. The, the only reason I know about Zurich is because there is some sort of insurance company called the same or something. Oh, yes, that's true. There is an insurance company <laughs> called Zurich. <laughs> yeah. So so everyone knows that Zurich is resettled because of that reason. Um, <laughs> okay, that's brilliant. So uh, do you work as a first opinion practitioner or something like that in Switzerland or did you move, I mean, to, to karaoke quite quickly? No. So when I finished vet school, um, I kind of had to make a decision whether I wanted to go straight into practice, whether I wanted to go with the internship or residency and, or, or if I wanted to do a a doctor's thesis and and in Switzerland, you can kind of choose if you want to do one on the side and it's unpaid, or if you want to do one that is paid, but, but then you're working on that more or less full time or you do other things for the university and, and, and this part of your job description. And so what I did, I um, actually started working 60%, so three days out of the week um, for a gen- general vet practice. Actually, it was a, um, a vet who is specialized in orthopedics, but he also does um, a little bit general practice, you know, vaccines, um, first, of pin- first opinion yes. medical um, appointments. And, and so I, I did that. Um, during my working days and and the other two or three days out of the week i I would work on my doctor's thesis um, which i also did at the university of zurich in in the anesthesiology department Uh aha i see (laughs) and you you did that in zurich and how how does uh, a person from zurich end up in a volunteer hospital in (laughs) karaoke How does that happen? It's it's, it's not a straightforward journey, but um, so I I did work first, first opinion practice and, and, um, and, and finished my doctor's thesis um, within the first two, two years, approximately after I finished vet school. And then um, I did work briefly for about 18 months in, in a, um, um, bacteriology lab also at the University of Zurich. So the veterinary uh-huh. bacteriology lab. So it was lots of diagnostics, yes. which, which was very interesting, but it wasn't really what I then considered I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Um, and I was early on really, really interested in, in animal welfare and, and animal protection yes. laws and things like that. So I started doing, um, an extra certif- certificate, um, that you can do in Switzerland for, it's maybe similar as the official veterinarians in 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 the UK. Um, so I started doing yes. that education and, and those those courses, um, and then eventually there was a job opportunity at the veterinary office in Zurich um, with the with the um, department of of um, animal protection, and um, I was mostly mostly um, working for the the side of uh, in Zurich, we have a lot of dog laws. Um, and so I was mostly yes. involved in, in controlling and enforcing those dog laws. Um, and I did this uh-huh. for quite a long time. I, I finished my certificate with the, with the veterinary, uh, officials. And, um, I, um, I worked with the, with the 
dock owners <laughs> for, a, for, for almost four years. It was about three and a half years. Um, and, and you see it's a lot of, um, office work. It is a little bit of field work. You do go out on inspections as well. Um, but most of the client interactions are quite negative because when we go, it's because somebody reported them doing something wrong. Yes. Um, so. I wasn't, I wasn't really the type of person who, who could do this, uh, for, for a long, long time. My, my skin wasn't thick enough, I should say. Um, and then there were a lot of little things in, in, in the office and in the work environment that just didn't agree with me. So I went back to myself and, and thought, well, is this it? Am I not a veterinarian that works in practice? Am I not a veterinarian that works in a lab? I'm not a veterinarian that works um, as a government official. So what what do I want to be? And um, so I wanted to find out maybe do I want to give veterinary practice work um, another chance? And and so I I yes. um, was looking for opportunities to work abroad, but also to just like be a vet without so much outside pressure. Um, and so yes. I. I I had a friend who was coming here to Karakou um, once a year to volunteer in this um, charity project. Um, and I asked her, is this something I could do? And, and do you think that could be a good fit? And, and she said yes and got me in touch with, with um, the manager. And, and, and so I signed up to come for, for 10 weeks over the whole, like November, December, January over the holidays one year in 2015 and 16. And, and yeah, that's that's how I ended up then in Karaku for the first time because I just needed to do something different and wanted to go basically back to the roots of, of veterinary medicine. Does that make sense? <laughs> yes, it does. Yes, and I, I can see a lot of myself in there because I um, I'm from Spain and when I first came to the UK, I came for six months, and that was 15 years ago. So I feel still like I came to to the UK to to come back and I still feel like I'm still on holidays in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> but this is a very long holiday because because it's been 15 years here. I own my own house. I got a family now in the UK. Um and and if I feel a little bit like that. I'm guessing home for you sometimes is Switzerland, but sometimes is uh, sometimes it's karaoke, right? Correct, yes. It's kind of both now. Yes. When I say home, nobody knows what I mean. Is it Switzerland or is it karaoke? What do you yeah. mean? Yes. Yes, exactly. Karaoke is one of the islands of um, the Grenada um, country, right? Uh, most Correct. people in, in karaoke and Grenada, yes, they, they speak English, is that right? Or, or do they speak their own language? Or? Um, no, the, the main language is English, um, but they have like this yes. patois or um, yeah, like a, a, an accent that they have that when they speak amongst each other is quite tricky to understand. But um, over the years, you, you learn to, to, to pick up the words because... and, and figure out what, they're, what, what they yes. could be meaning to say. <laughs> yes. So is it like a different language or is it very similar to English? It, it is English, but a lot of the words are like shortened or, or maybe a little bit switched out. Yes. Um, and, and there's a, a yes. words that we probably wouldn't say in, in the standard Cambridge English. Um, so, yeah, for, for yeah. many people, also the volunteers who are coming here, um, they, they struggle in the beginning quite a bit to understand people, especially on the phone. It's, it's very difficult. 
and I'm still bad on the phone, to so, be honest. I'm like, I always hand, hand my phone to somebody else. Like, I, I cannot understand what you're saying. <laughs> but I'm getting I there, I the think. I had the same problem here. So I had the same problem here. <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, the karaoke hospital um, is, a, is a charity. It's called, uh, it, it, it's, its name is Karaoke Animal Hospital. Yes. Yes. And then it runs entirely by donations is that right and grants yes yeah exactly yes so how does it work um so yeah that the it's basically a, a small facility with a theater and uh, a little bit of space for inpatients on on the porch and and a few rooms for yes. visiting volunteers to stay um and yes. um in the, the financial financial things work in that sense that we collect donations online or also locally a little yes. bit for the services um, but most services are offered on a donation basis but it's meant um, obviously for the local people who live here um, who you know have a much different um, socioeconomic background than we do and um, the standard wage is much lower than what we are used to um, and 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 so animal care and especially veterinary medicine um, is for many people here very expensive and Karakou has only six to eight thousand eight thousand um, uh, residents or inhabitants and um, so the, yes. the pool of your client is already very small and then the pool of clients who can afford to pray veterinary care in 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 a for-profit manner is very very small so um that was the reason why there wasn't really anything going on that much with with any qualified veterinarians that went to vet school and did a degree there was a little bit of field workers who just learned by experience or learned by doing um but but no professional care not qualified vets no qualified vets no um and so um First in 2008, I believe, they started an outreach pro project together with the GSPCA, which is a charity in, on the main island of Grenada. Um, and then eventually yeah. from that, it evolved into a, a standalone project. And, and um, so this is how, how it all started. And, and like I said, uh -huh. most services are on a donation basis. So we tell people... Um, yes. You can, you, you know, this is what it would approximately cost, but any donation towards our yes. services will be appreciated. Yes. Um, we do make exceptions with charging for, for like foreigners because we had issues with, you know, um, especially people from the yachting community that they would come to our island expecting free veterinary services. Um, and Oh, and, I see, from other islands. Yeah, you know, people from abroad, French, US, Italian, UK, yeah. just people who, who yeah. sail on yachts and, 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 and either permanently live on yachts or are here for the season to enjoy a, a, an extended um, holiday um, with their pets on the boat. Um, and, and so we had to come up with a little bit of a suggested price list for, for these kind of people because we're yes. mainly here for the local community and not for um, foreigners who are just looking for a free ride. Um, so yeah, yes, that that I is understand. 
that is um, how we work in, in terms of uh, financials and, and really the, the services are run by volunteers. So everybody in the um, basic core team is, is a volunteer. It's myself as a head head vet and um, a friend of ours who lives here now almost permanently. She's a vet tech from the US um, uh -huh. and uh, managing director of the of the whole charity. Um, so we are uh, on the island all the time um, and and donate our time and skills to, to the project. And then the heart and soul of the project is visiting volunteers, veterinarians and vet nurses um, from across um, the whole world really but mostly from the uk um yes. and and they come here for a working holiday um so we try to make it exciting and fun for them um and it's not just work it's also you know going on boat trips snorkeling with turtles uh, opportunity to dive um all, all these kind of things as well and and we try to keep the workload at the level that they still feel like they're enjoying a holiday and not just work from seven in the morning to 10 in the evening or however they're used to at the in their home place i mean for, for me if i wanted to to visit a place like karaoke simply the the different um uh, background and the, the different place and hear people talk and different foods and things like that i, I would just love that you know just just to see it because um, yeah you should come uh, because it's an enriched enriching experience well we'll try we'll see um <laughs> and then let's say I want to go there tomorrow. I, I'm guessing I have to take a plane to where's the nearest airport. Um, so actually, when you if you're coming from the UK or from Europe, you're you're trying to get over here. Uh -huh. um, you you can go straight, may, more or less, from the UK. Um, the British Airways or Virgin both fly to Grenada. Um, they do. Some of their planes uh -huh. do like a stop over in a short stop over in Barbados or Antigua. Um, and then you're on the yes. main island of, of Grenada. Um, and from there, you can either go by ferry or you can take a short plane ride um, from Grenada to Caracou. There is a, a, a small see. charter company who also does plane, uh, like um, short plane rides. So it, it, it is seemingly close, but the, the ferry ride is about two hours. So. By the way, uh, for anyone who would be listening, uh, I will put the link to the hospital and the uh, Facebook link as well uh, to the hospital in the episode notes so people can actually see it. And of course, if they feel like they can afford it to um, donate to, uh, to, your, to your hospital, which is, um, is, is very good that we can provide welfare uh, then in karaoke as well, because if it wasn't for you, then I, I don't think many, many animals will, will get treatment. Um, yeah. How how long do they usually stay when when people come visit you to work for you? We we have a two weeks minimum because it with all the far traveling and until you're like settled yeah. and know how things work and with the different protocols and sometimes quite different approach to to treatment. Um, yeah, it takes at least a week or so so that they can like really work there it, it is yes. good that they stay at least two weeks but now with all the covid regulations it's probably better to plan at least three or four weeks um but we have people who who come for yeah. two weeks we have people who come for three months so uh, it's it's everything yes. goes <laughs> you you said in the email you sent me that another problem you you get is there is a lot of medications uh, and things that you don't get or if you get them they're very expensive aren't they 
Yeah, so, I mean, there are, obviously there's no manufacturing company in Grenada itself, yeah. so everything yes. has to come from abroad anyway. There is a, a, a supplier in Trinidad, with it, which is the um, country to the south um, of Grenada, um, which where we can, which we can get medications from then, but they only have a very small stock and and a few things are very, very expensive as well because they import them from the US or from the UK and have to pay all the shipping and, and taxing. So um, yes. warming treatment is relatively cheap comparatively, for example. But if you want to buy a bottle of Serenia, it costs 192 US dollars for one bottle. So oh, very much wow. expensive. Um, and yes, so you... So you do get maropitan, which is to stop animals from being sick. Um, exactly. But uh, the, the, the whole bottle is more than 100 US dollars. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, almost $200 yes. the last time we checked. So um, from that point of view, as a small charity, as we are, we, we heavily rely on on donated medications and they usually come from from yes. the UK as well. And we have a, a board member who collects uh, those medications in the UK and then ships them um, in barrels once or twice a year um, to us. I see. Yeah. So, so part of the donation will will pay for that shipping, for instance, right? Yes, we're considering it's quite quite cheap to be honest. And if if we're thinking it travels on a freight boat for three weeks or four weeks, and yeah, it's yes. it's really it's really amazing what you can do with barrel shipping and and cargo freight but um yes um i have uh, read in your social media feed and uh, in your um website uh what's of the most common um conditions or work that you do and there is a lot about um neutering but there is a lot about um heartworm and do, do you call it tick fever right as well exactly yes yeah. so uh, our yes. main main patients are dogs and cats and and mostly dogs um to the the most common diseases either ehrlichia or heartworm or quite often they have actually both diseases at the same time and so yeah yes yes how how are those diseases how often do you have do you see them in your because when when i was in spain um I I used to see a lot of leishmania, leishmaniasis. Mm -hmm. um, but then when I went to the UK, there weren't any. Um, so so people in the UK they know about these diseases, but they're not as um, familiarized with with them. Uh, so uh, how how I'm guessing by now when you see a dog with suspected uh, ehrlichiosis, which is the tick fever or heartworm you probably already suspect it before you even test, right? Yes. Yes, we actually don't don't test all the time because, um, again, the test kits are really expensive. Um, so we often diagnose on, on um, um, just on, on symptoms and likeliness of, of what it could yes. be. Um, and, and, yeah, so we probably see maybe 10 cases of, of tick fever per week. Um, heartworm, oh, wow. maybe two, three that we treat. Yesterday, we treated five dogs against heartworm the, the same day. Um, and we did test them <laughs> and they were positive. Um, 
yeah so so it's it's very because these both of these diseases are transmitted by other parasites so um yes tick fever obviously coming from ticks um and and there there is a huge tick population on on the island and and um if the dogs treated the the neighbor sheep isn't treated and 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 so the reinfection and uh, and the in, infection yes. pressure is really high here and then it's also the seasons here don't change very much it's always warm so there's never a winter where it kind of breaks that tick cycle um and the same yes. really goes for heartworm as well so it's transmitted by mosquitoes and we have mosquitoes all year round yeah and and and, and you can prevent by treatment with um, antiparasites for, for ticks, I, I guess. Exactly. Uh, and the same thing with a, with a, with, with a heartworm. Uh, how, how, do you, how do you see them? What's the most common presentation? What, they, what do the owners say? Oh, my dog's not very well. And then you see the dog and what, what do they say usually? So for tick fever, they often say, oh, my dog's not been eating so well. It's been off food for a couple of days. Um, Sometimes they say it's vomiting. Sometimes they present with a bit of lameness because it can affect their joints as well. And then in the clinical exam, you see enlarged lymph nodes and pale mucous membranes, um, bilateral discharge from their eyes, like um, purulent discharge is very indicative of of tick fever, unfortunately. Um, Yeah, so these are like the main symptoms, I should say. And um, with with heartworm, yes. funny enough, most people call and say my dog has something stuck in its throat <laughs> because they cough. <laughs> oh, right. They present with the cough, and people mistake yes. it for it having something stuck in its throat. Um, yeah, and 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 if it's end stage, they're also off food and have a huge belly from um, cable syndrome. And yeah, yeah, yes. I I. I seen in your website I uh, post um, uh, a necropsy of a of, of, of a dog, then then the the heart is is open, and there are hundreds maybe of worms, very very long worms in there. It's, it's quite horrendous. Is that very common then? Yeah. So unfortunately, I think the pictures that you've seen is actually a really young dog. It was only like eighteen months old or so, uh, uh-huh. and, and we did a post mortem on it. With, you know, because we wanted to see. And it's also something that is quite interesting to see for the volunteers who normally are not confronted with the disease like heartworm because it's not common in their country. Um, And so we do postmortems every once in a while in order to to see how many. Did they have heartworms, adult heartworms in their heart and and how many? Uh, And in that particular case, um, I I think that we posted the picture on, on Facebook. I think it was like... 122 worms or something like that is what we counted and uh, and yeah the dog oh, was, wow. only, was only like i said barely 18 months old so really sad for the owner yeah. but, that must um, be quite sad yes yeah. yes next things i wanted to to ask you was ehrlichiosis as far as i remember you can treat it with an antibiotic with doxycycline i don't know does it does it completely uh, eliminate the parasite Yes, it's very difficult to treat. Um, you do treat it with doxycycline, that's the, the, the antibiotic of choice. Um, but because the, the, the disease is intracellular, it's, it's difficult to 
reach all of it during your course of yes. treatment. Um, so there is different papers, but most of them say to really make a good attempt to eradicate it, you should give it for at least four weeks. Um, but even then, sometimes they can test positive again or they, they come back with symptoms a year later. Um, yeah, so then, then you have to treat again. Um, unfortunately, we can't really know did the dog continue to have the disease and we didn't get rid of it or did he just get reinfected yes. by another tick bite in the meantime? Yes. The other thing is, um, I think we now get some heartworm from other parts of the of Europe, from Eastern Europe as well. Mm -hmm. um, uh, dogs that sometimes get imported uh, into the UK. Um, many people who import these dogs, like the people who, who get them, they, they don't understand the risk of carrying heartworm in here. Um, now, heartworm treatment is not easy, is it? Because if you have a big infestation, the treatment can be dangerous. Is that right? Yes, correct. Um, so yeah, this is why we're, we're promoting that um, prevention is really easy, but treatment uh, <laughs> yes. is, is quite often not, not su successful, especially if it's end stage. The problem is, um, I think the standard approach treatment that is recommended by uh, the Heartworm Association is that you first start them on um, doxycycline as well, because they have intracellular uh, parasites as well that react to the doxycycline and then yes. steroids. Um, and then after a month, you start treating with the imidicite, which, or melarsomine, um, which um, should be killing the adult heartworms. Um, but that's fine if you have like two or three heartworms in the heart. But if you have a dog who has a hundred yes. worms in the heart, um, and then you, you treat them, they will die because th those are just too many worms dying at once, causing, uh, immune, yes. immune reactions as well as obviously clots. Um, yes. And, um, if, if they are very heavily infected, we do also see that they, um, get like little embolisms either in the brain or we had a dog that had embolisms in the extremities from having so many heartworms. Yeah. yeah. Adding to the, to the, um, heartworm thing is just maybe to say that we normally don't use the imidicide at all and just try to do a slow kill method, um, protocol. To make sure that the animals survive. Yes. Um, and we do see some dogs recover, but but also, like I said, we, we can't make any promises to the clients when, when this happens. And, and sometimes we do have a sad ending, unfortunately. But then hopefully it's a learning yeah. experience for the client and, and they will use the preventative. They, they, they can talk to each other in the island and people get to know a bit more about exactly. it, I'm, I'm guessing. Yes, we're trying to do a lot of education on that. Yes, I can see that in your in your side that you, you you promote a good education and that's that's really good. Next, we are going to talk about mental health. If you're a vet professional and are affected by any of the topics we are about to discuss, remember that there is help available. I've listed some of the organizations that can offer you help on the podcast website morethanjustavet.net under the tab "I'm not okay." You can find contact details there. Okay. Let's continue. There is something that I don't know if you said in the email that you were oh. happy to talk further. And I oh, think yeah. it's important, but it's up to you whether you want to talk about it or not. Um, 
you said in the um, in your email uh, that because I I ask people what they struggle the most and uh, often in our profession, which a lot of people don't know, um, is things with uh, depression, mental health, and eventually suicide. And you said some people thinking, well, it's because we euthanize animal, and because we euthanize them, we can't deal with the burden uh, in our heads and. Um, and then that's that's the reason why why we commit suicide, vets and vet nurses. And you said they they know nothing. And I, I exactly, think I agree yes. with you. That's not the reason. You said the, the professions come into into something that they can't support itself. What do you mean? Um, what I meant is that so there is a lot of expect expectations yes. to to our profession and yes. it seems like the expectations of what we can do and what we can treat is getting higher and higher um so i'm just like thinking why did james harriet not talk about any of these issues um back 50 or however many years ago that was and and i think part or a, a big part of the problem is that veterinary medicine is now so good and so close to human medicine that we we can offer a lot and people don't really understand that if we can do that it also most very similarly costs the same amount as it would in human medicine there is really only two ways of, of dealing with it either you're prepared and happy to pay that price or you have to deal with with the pragmatic approach which may not be everything that you can do in the world, but what you can afford and, and what makes sense for you and your vet and your pet. Um, just from, from that point of view, I, I just I, I feel that, that people are quite unrealistic ab about the situation and, and, and how much pressure there is on the, on the veterinary medicine. And, and every, with, with corporate buying practices, everything needs to be more profitable and more yes. efficient. And, at the same time, everybody is unhappy. The, the, the vets work too much. The clients feel they're paying too much. Um, the insurances are there, but um, obviously they cost as well. And especially in countries like the UK where people don't even pay for their own, like their healthcare, uh, the NHS is, is paid by their taxes. So they, they don't really feel how much it actually costs. And, uh, and so just from that point of view, I, I already think there is a, a big problem in, 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 in how people see veterinary medicine. And when you were saying that um, people understand that there is a high suicide rate in our profession, um, but then they think it's because we are sad because we're dealing with, with euthanasia. Um, this may only be a small part of it. Uh, I mean, of course, we are sad when we're putting an animal to sleep and we're sad to see people grieving and we're sad to see the animals go that we sometimes treated for years before um, but grief is something you, you you usually can can cope with but but constant stress and pressure from from the work environment is 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 something that just leads to anxiety and depression in, in many people and unfortunately sometimes to suicide I, I, I was saying this because um, just a few weeks ago when you reached out to me, I, I, have, I have a friend who, who started in, in the veterinary profession knew she was a fresh grad last year and or, or, yeah this, this year she was a fresh grad and, and um, 
in a, in just a few months, she, she felt so much anxiety, um, of uh, doing her job and going to the practice that, that, that she literally had, had a breakdown. And, and it just made me so sad because she was a good vet. There was, there was no reason for her to, to like be anxious in, in terms that she wasn't competent enough to be a vet and to do the job. Um, she was very competent. Is that how she felt that, that she thought she wasn't good enough? Is that right? Well, that's how we feel in the end, isn't it? But in my opinion and how yes. I saw her work, I, and I even told her that I felt she was a very competent vet and she was, um, a new grad that had a lot of skills already for, for being a new grad. Um, and so it just made me really, really sad that her environment made her feel that way, you know? Yes. Yes. And the environment is, is, is both work and a client demand. Yeah. It's, it, I, I'm it, guessing. Yeah, it's you know, as as a new grad, when when you have like your consults ready, but then and you think you can deal with them in the afternoon, but then all of a sudden you have to go from fifteen minute consults to ten or eight minute consults the whole afternoon because things get get thrown in and 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 you need to see more clients yes. than expected, and 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 that can be very stressful already. And then if you don't have the 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 support that you need um in terms of you know in the beginning what is it you you sometimes need to ask a client hey um can, do you, what do you think about this treatment plan do you think this is the right thing to do and 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 when you when you have patients waiting outside and inside your consult room you you, you at some point just don't have the energy and time to 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 follow up with these things as you probably should as a or want to as a new grad Yes, I put in a private uh, group of veterinary um, nurses and vets what's the worst thing of being a vet. And one of the things they were saying was work-life balance. But this is not just work-life balance. Even if you have a good work-life balance in time, during the time at work, the external pressure from the clients and from the work itself can amount to to be unhappy with what you do because you don't have enough time to actually do the things you want to do as well as you want to do them. Mm. Is that what you would say? I think that's it. I think that's true. I think having a good work-life balance definitely helps. Um, and I think if you literally start working at seven and then finish at eight in the evening and and all you do is eat and sleep and repeat, then then that is definitely adding a whole lot to, to your stress level and to your mental health. Um, but e even if you do have time off, I think it's important that you also get the right support in your environment, in, in your work environment when you need it. Absolutely. I think that's, that's important. And I, I got... Um, in this poll that I made, the second um, the, the, the second higher um, vote was um, so much to do, so little time. And that was the answer. What's yeah. the worst thing um, uh, of being a vet? It says so, so much to do, so little time. And I didn't quite understand it at the time. But I think that's what you're saying. And it does make sense to me now. Yeah. I, I yeah. get it. Yeah, yeah, I think that sums it up really well. And I guess it is, you know, we, we do a lot of things, like, it's not just that you're consulting 
with the client at the same time you're thinking about the blood results that you took from the client before and when are you yeah. going to call that client back and discuss the, the case and uh, the x-ray that is waiting that you need to do and and all these little things in between that then eat away from your lunch break and 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 at the end of the day you have to catch up with with notes and calling clients back and and then there is an emergency coming what do you do then then you have to delay all of the, these things again right yes so i think you're right i'm glad we reconnected again to to discuss this because i think i think that's important and i haven't i haven't discussed this in any of the other episodes so it's it's quite new it's fresh and it's important particularly for new graduates as well to listen to because mm. it's not just new graduates but i think new graduates feel it more because they are yeah, more new to the profession. Yeah, I'm sure everybody feels it. Yeah, yeah, of course. I do. <laughs> During this break, I want to thank the sponsors, colleagues and partners of More Than Just a Vet podcast. You can see them listed under the tab Colleagues on their website. Remember, you can use a break like this to advertise your product or idea. It's what I call podcast your product. Visit the website morethanjustabet.net for details. I want to go now into something a bit, I want to move gears a little bit and discuss things a bit more lighthearted, a bit funnier and not so sad. Um, you have sent me um, an email where you said that uh, you probably have the first um, Instagram um, of wild sex. <laughs> yes. So um, I've been wanting um, or I've been like looking to have quails for quite a long time and um, probably three, four yes. years I was like really playing with the idea in my head. Um, in the beginning when we were properly locked down, we, we had a little bit of time on our hands and, and so we, we started building a, a quail pen or just like an aviary, I should say, um, in, in our back garden. And um yeah, life happened and, and things got very, very busy for me because no more volunteers would arrive. So um, I was basically working 200% uh, all the time. So we, we that, that project yes. got a, bit, a little bit of the, yes. to the back, uh, on, on the back burner. And um, we, we just started pursuing this again, maybe about two months ago that, that we finished the aviary um, and, and had to actively start looking to where can we actually get quails? And um, uh, that proved to be quite difficult to, to source them because there are not any uh, professional hatcheries that supply people with, with adult quails or uh, baby chicks. And, and um, at the same time, there was like a poultry shortage in, in Grenada and a little bit across uh, the whole of the Caribbean, also because of COVID. Um, and so it was quite difficult to find quails, adult quails. So eventually we made the decision, okay, we'll try to hatch our own. Um, and then we had to look for somebody who would sell us quail eggs. Um, and um, actually last week, um, there is one quail farm in Grenada who sold me 24 eggs. So we're at the moment incubating them and hopefully a few Brilliant. of them will be fertile and hatch in the end. What's the name of the Instagram page? Carib Quails. <laughs> Brilliant. That's really good. And also you have eight cats. Yes, I have eight cats. I'm 
a little bit ashamed to say, but yes, I have eight cats. <laughs> no, there's no need to be ashamed. I just find it is difficult because you have to count them when you get home from work. Okay, are, are all of them here? One, two, three, four. Mm. What are the other one? <laughs> yes. So, yeah, they, they do go outdoors. Yes. Yeah, so we, we used to have three cats, which is probably a more normal amount of cats. And then um, literally a year ago, we found um, two-week-old kittens in the road with, without their mommy. We couldn't find their mommy. Um, and so we started yeah. nursing them. And again, because we didn't have any volunteers, I took them home. Um, we got up every three hours, four hours and, and fed those little baby kittens. Um, and and there, there were five of them. Um, and, and they all survived and became healthy, little happy kittens. And um, when it came down to rehoming them, we managed to rehome one of them. Um, but at the same time, um, we had another cat uh, at the clinic, which was only a few weeks older than these kittens. And, and also, again, was by itself at the clinic. Uh, so we said, well, let's integrate it with, with the kittens until we find a home for it. And it's a one-eyed cat that had a damaged eye, so we had to remove the eye. So I see. it was five cats again because because we integrated that one into uh, with the others. And um, yeah, when then when it came down to actually finding home for them so we couldn't say goodbye to them <laughs> now we have a happy pride of cats <laughs> yes and and in the the picture which i will use as a, the artwork of the episode you send me a picture with two of those cats is mm -hmm. that right um no actually these are just two kittens that came into the clinic and um somewhat were abandoned as well um but um they were um, i see they actually have a, a home now in the US and they're very, very loved. Okay. So, <laughs> no, but if you like, I can send Brilliant. you another picture with one of my cats if you want. <laughs> of course, of course. But I just, I thought the picture was very good, so I will use it for the okay. for the episode. Um, okay, okay. I, I need to ask you a question, a couple of questions. They, I am asking this question to everyone who uh, I interview, mm -hmm. uh, but because I'm interviewing first and then publishing, then people don't know which the answer are. And these are um, questions to do with the new world of how people interview other people and this corporate world. So I just need you to answer the, the question, which is, how would you fit a giraffe inside a fridge? <laughs> I don't know, in chunks? <laughs> Okay, okay, well, that's an answer, that's an answer, in chunks, okay, so if, if you're going to put it in chunks, do we have to euthanize the giraffe first to cut it in pieces? I would say so, yes. Okay, okay, that's that's fair, that's fair enough, so, so uh, your answer is going to be, I would kill the giraffe, get it in pieces, and then fit it in the fridge. <laughs> I guess, yes. Perfect, perfect. That's a new answer as well. So far, I have five recordings. Nobody's giving me the, sa the same answer twice. Okay. So that's yeah, that's, that will that's be interesting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And um, the other thing is um, uh, the head nurse in my practice. Uh, I asking about what what would you like me to to ask people who come to to be interviewed with me, and I said, ask them what they having for tea. So they asking me. What would you like? What are you having for dinner or for tea? Or tell me something that's 
tasty and nice to eat uh, that you like from where you are, from karaoke. Oh, so you mean like a local meal? For instance, I don't know if you like it. Um, I guess fish. Any particular? Mm, yeah, so there is a lot of tuna and marlin what, that we eat here. Um, so that... Yes, and that's, 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 that's the, the local more common, common things. And what are you having for dinner tonight? Um, actually, I don't know what I, ha what I have tonight, but yesterday I had uh, a poke bowl, so I made tuna tartare with, with fresh tuna and, and um, rice and some vegetables and avocado. So that's what I had yesterday. <laughs> and that's what would be what a local would eat as well? No, that's, that would definitely not be what a local would eat. They, they don't tend to eat raw fish. <laughs> so they would cook it and make a nice meal out of it. Okay, okay, but but you eat that raw? Sometimes, yes, you know, just like sushi. <laughs> ah, I see, I see. Okay, that's really interesting. That's that's really interesting. Okay, well, um, Nadine, um, thank you for for taking part in the show. It's been fantastic. I really enjoyed talking to you. <laughs> I think that was really good. Thank you, <laughs> and hopefully you do come to visit. <laughs> And this is it for today. Did you enjoy this episode? If you have any comments or reviews about it, don't forget to leave them in the website morethanjezabeth.net forward slash contact. And once you're there, please support the show by pressing the donate button. You can do it for as little as one pound. I feel like everybody who wants to breed, even if it's one litter, should have a license. Hasta la próxima. <laughs>